0: Bright. It's time to be holy and purified. Time for her flesh to be denied. Shalom and welcome to the Remnant Radio Show, where we are living and learning a restoration lifestyle. This is, um, the series High Places. And this is here at the heart of the tribes. And we're so glad that you're all here today. Um, Got a a few announcements. And then uh, if for some reason I go off the air, it could be loss of internet, could be I didn't push the right button, (laughs) or I pushed the wrong button. Um, But I will try for those who last week, not on this show, but the other show, um, we lost sound for like, the bulk of the show so anyway um first i wanted to say welcome back this is episode six of the high places we're going to continue on with the call to the churches in america uh from boris and it's the story of what father did to save his people out of russia and the parallel to today and shalom to you in the room shell Ren, and uh debari is that debari i would say debari salazar but i'm not sure Uh, if that's correct. And so first I would just want to say I'm going to try to do uh, some pre-records for the last, uh, I guess it's actually be the first, you'd say the last week of this month in November and the first and second week of November because I will be going to Ohio to do some hands-on training with Dr. Monzo. If any of you out there are interested in that, please let me know and contact me. If uh, you're not seeing or hearing um, something on the show besides here in the comments, um, you could try messaging me on uh, Messenger through Facebook and or text messaging me, as many of you have my number. I will try to remember to look at that. Um, So uh, we're going to start, and I'm going to go ahead and share the screen. I think it's going to work pretty good this week. Um, So we're on page, I think it's 14 of the call. To the churches in America, and I ask that if you if you have missed some of these, go to our Rumble account, and I believe also Heart of the Tribes. You can I believe they're also there, and you can see the high places um, and start with this from the very beginning as we have read through this. And I'm going to be in the future as I relate this to some other things uh, to the to the parallel. I'm going to be addressing PCA. And I'm just going to drop this into your word or spirit vocabulary right now. PCA is the short term that Father has given me for name when we are to call upon his name. And I know that a lot of people get, you know, very serious about his name, how it's pronounced, what letters it's used, etc. But I would like to take you into another facet of that, that whenever you're reading the scriptures... When you ever see call upon the name or his name um, in the scriptures, if you will try to remember to translate that into PCA, which is power, character, and authority. For instance, many times he tells us where he's going to place his name. Okay. It's not about just placing his name on uh, the proper pronunciation. Okay. It's where he's going to place his power, character, and authority. He did that in the place of Shiloh, Shiloh, uh, Shiloh, uh, where the tabernacle was. Uh, He did it in Jerusalem. And I believe he's going to do it again in his people and in um, the 144,000 the tribes, et cetera. And wherever he places his name, that's where the power, character, and authority is. And if you want um, a breakdown of that, you could go to remnantremedy.com, click on... mm, articles, I believe it is, that takes you to Livingstone's Tabernacle. And there is a part one and a part two of uh, his name, uh, Shim, his name is in Shimon, And it goes through about 10,000 words or so, which was all to my surprise, that was not my intent when I started the article, um, showing that it was his power, character, and authority. And of course, when I when I deal with essential oils or oil, which also represents the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, the light and his power, character and authority. So those are things I just want to kind of drop. And so whenever you're reading, and whenever you're studying, um, I would ask that you would please address not just how a person uses his name, how they address his name, how they pronounce his name. But do they have his power, character and authority? I would venture to say that Hasatan, the enemy of our souls. Knows how to pronounce his name, but does he have his PCA, his power, character, and authority? And so, um, and also when we're reading here through the corruption story, he had placed his Holy Spirit. He'd given this great revival. He warned them, told them to come out ahead of time uh, because he wanted to save them, you know? And isn't this like many of us, we, Father calls us, he speaks to us. He tells us where to go, you um, you know, what our next steps are, et cetera. And if we're just obedient, then it seems that his power, character, and authority is PCA. His name is not with us. And so we we learned a little bit of that last week when they disobeyed his directions by his Ruach, by his spirit. And so we want to be walking in obedience so that his power, character, and authority is uh, moving through us to be a witness to others and obviously to benefit ourselves, right? So we're going to take, uh, we're going to start back off where we left last week uh, here at episode six and we're on page 14 and I have it down here and say, so we're starting right here. Uh, and remember last time father had told them to divide into four different groups and he had appointed leaders to each one of those groups. And then we learned about the group that didn't, didn't obey uh, and they, they repented and thankfully it didn't cost them their lives. But um, anyway, so we'll just continue on here. Okay. So all those groups, those four groups, right, uh, that were left after many came and many separated and went back to uh, the comfort and then ended up dead or imprisoned or what whatever, eating their own children. Okay. So all those groups that came through came safely into China and Yahweh led them into the same little town where they had gathered together and they were praising Yah. And remember they didn't have maps, they didn't have Google. They didn't even know. I mean these people we're talking 19 um, was it 1917 was the first word out. We're talking about 1930s, okay They, they didn't have many of them did not travel past the one town. And they certainly didn't know uh, what they were in other countries. So he led them uh, to the same small town, all four different groups, as they separated and, and went their different ways with their different instructions. And they met in the same place. And they were all praising him there. It was an isolated mountainous area, but there was very rich soil there. And so they started to farm, excuse me, and Yahweh blessed them mightily. And they built houses, mostly mud houses with dirt floors, earthen walls and straw roofs with some poles for the roof. Now this kind of makes sense again I had mentioned this I think in the last show. Sometimes he uses the comment that all wasn't carpet and roses. Well, obviously carpet is a big deal when you have a dirt floor. So it was a very simple dwelling, but in those dwellings people gathered daily for prayer. They were mighty prayers. And that's another thing all throughout here you'll see from the beginning of the first announcement when the word of the Lord came through someone in 1917, during a Shemitah, uh, up almost to the second end of the second Shemitah, they were daily uh, repenting, words of knowledge, words of discernment. Um, and they were praying. They were praying night and day in the houses, people going back and forth to people's houses and praying and, and having uh, fasting, etc. So that is part of the signs of a revival um, where the Holy Spirit's really moving and people are yielding. Now, the secret to apostolic success, as I read in my old-fashioned Russian Bible, was that the apostles were in the word and prayer daily. So why has the church gone to sleep today? Because the spirit of prayer has departed from the churches. The people of Yah will get busy with anything and everything, man-made programs, this and that, but not prayer. Now, imagine this presentation was done, I believe, in 1994. How much more so today with um, everybody's little Google God thing in their hands uh, connected for almost any business transaction just to write a newsletter, et cetera. You know, every time I go on to do a newsletter, uh, do a banking transaction, a lot of things I have to do online, I have to verify that they either have to text me or call me to know where I'm at and I got to be attached to this just to write you a newsletter, and then they ask, would you like to register this device? And I say, yes. Well, I don't even know why they ask because they almost ask every single time I do it. Okay. I also notice that if I travel, if I go an hour or more away, uh, it is more likely to do that. So don't think that they're not tracking you. I've said for years, it will be illegal not to have one of these or something similar to it, which you can imagine... What could be similar, what could be similar that may not be actually this big and may be attached, right? Um, So think about it. Um, Let's see. Yes, 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 that's true. Um, Very heartbreaking and it is very much overreaching. And again, we had no idea because we were told for our our protection and our safety that when the NASA program uh, was started by uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, that it was for tracking and communications. You didn't know that you were going to be tracked, and every piece of your communication was going to be censored and watched. Right? Um, okay. So, uh, so why has the church gone to sleep? Because the people are busy with all these man-made programs, etc. But not prayer. And then the spirit of prayer is lost. Think about there's a spirit of prayer. I never really thought about that. Right? Of course, that is communication with Yah. Okay. Um, is lost and therefore you will find that God's Holy Spirit his Ruach cannot work because his hand is moved through prayer um, I, I remember I was reading a book a year or so ago and and maybe I'll have to find that book to quote from there that the our weapon our weapon is prayer and I think I would say that is probably more important and I'm probably going to get a lot of tomatoes today. Okay. I'm just in that kind of mood. I, I, I think that prayer is more important than pointing out the world's sin. Yes, we want to point them to righteousness. But I believe it's more effective by pointing people to righteousness by living it with love and relationship towards others. Um, Anyway, just had to go there, sorry. Uh, Because the spirit of prayer. So there is a spirit of prayer and prayer is our weapon. And any true believer knows that there's nothing to be really feared of in people that are sons and daughters of the most high because our weapons are not the weapons of this world. Our weapons is through prayer. And when we can corporately get that fire and literal fire, light and fire and energy together where two or more of us gather those are little embers coming together to make a great fire uh for the ash elohim yahweh to come through and to be effective and to go out and go forth to do that which needs to be done uh and according to his overall sovereignty but we are that uh conduit between loving others, uh, even rebuking, but more through prayer for them to the king uh, in the throne room. The people of, um, yeah, we'll be busy with the K. Let's see. Um, So the people in Russia and in China believed in mighty prayers. I still say they do today, uh, especially those that I know from Russia and China who are believers here in this country, especially in the Northwest. So when they prayed, they prayed in one accord, Akkad, unity. Like in chapter 4 of Acts, they raised their voice in one accord, which would be cod, would one or more come together as one. Remember Yeshua prayed and said to his father, uh, to the heavenly father, he said, I pray that, you know, basically I won't lose any of those that you've given me. Uh, I came to the lost house of Israel and through them all people of the earth can be saved um, because of the message and the love and the ambassadors they are. I don't want to lose them. I want them to be one with me just as I am one with you. And so when we're all one together, there's no disunity, okay? And we don't, we don't, we do it in spirit. We do it in prayer. We do it in worship, not on the nuances of the differences between us. You are either in the spirit to Elohim or you are in the spirit to the world. And that spirit is what we need to be able to judge and to discern not so much physical outwardness, uh, uh, maybe certain beliefs, because none of us, I don't think, <laughs> are even in the same place we were a week ago or a year ago or t- five or 10 years ago. And we're certainly not where we're going as one, as our minds are renewed, our understanding is renewed, our discernment is renewed, etc. cetera. Uh, so they believed mighty in prayers and when they prayed they prayed in one accord and they raised their voice and they said Yahweh help us so those were the kind of prayers I this is Boris who wrote this is teaching this at a church I was born into this and I grew up then the time came that I came to Yahweh in China I was raised on those prayers those were mighty prayers So imagine, evidently, he was in the womb of his mother uh, as they went on this journey. And the young people would gather together with the older brethren. They didn't have separate youth church from adult church. And the young people would gather together with the older brethren and with grandmothers and with grandfathers in a room in a simple hut, simple faith, pure faith. And heaven would come down and the Ruach would come down and talk to the young people and rebuke them and expose them and comfort them and reveal the secrets of their hearts. Imagine the faith and the unity it takes to be able to subject yourself to that. I don't know about you, but there have been times when I have been around, uh, maybe, you know, I don't want to just call them a prophet, but, but a believer who... I knew that if I was doing something wrong, uh, they would get my number and I would be scared that they would call me out. Right. Uh, And, you know, it was never a great sin, but whatever, you know, like just whatever it could be. And if you've ever been, you know, if you're ever in tune to the spirit like that, you get in tune that there are certain people who have a conduit with the king uh, and they can call your number. And hopefully they do it in private but you know it depends on the situation our heavenly father knows what we need to discipline us and how it needs to be done um and of course he does give us instructions to to go in private and and then with the elders and and he is you know a whole set of rules for us but it is uh exciting to be around people and to have people come through your communities who can speak the truth speak correction Uh, Speak encouragement. Uh, And usually we don't understand or comprehend that correction, rebuke, is love. We just do not, do not have that understanding. We do not have the understanding that suffering, pain, hurt is love. It, It is all to make us into the pottery and the vessel that he wants us into the true kingdom. In my opinion, and my experience is it is through suffering and partaking in the suffering of Yeshua, the Messiah. If you cannot enter into that, then who are you? You know, if, if you're married, if you, if you have children, if you have parents, if you have a friend, if you cannot enter in to that suffering with them, even if it causes you suffering. And, and brothers and sisters, we're living in a day that just by association, just by knowing someone or reading something um, or speaking one little thing would incriminate us or put us into the same category as to whoever or whatever the enemy wants to persecute. I'll give you a short little example years ago when my husband and I were in prison ministry. Ooh, I didn't plan on going here. Um, But okay. So we were in prison ministry. And so we took babies that were born uh, to incarcerated mothers. And the purpose of the ministry was to, to keep the babies, to minister to the babies and the mothers. And so we, took the babies to the mothers um, and to keep relationship because if they had given their babies up to the state, they probably would never see them again. Um, and before I get into that, let me just share the crux of that and how this relates. So there was a point in this, and I will give you the backstory. There was a point when we knew from another sister that they were going and picking up and, um, taking these babies from the prison ministry families uh, based on a lie and based on a coup, if you want to call it that. Uh, It was was a sting that the state was doing against believers in the state. And um, let me tell you something. When you are standing there and you're thinking, they could take my children, not just my prison babies, right? But they could take my child. When you're in a situation where you are falsely accused and falsely set up. And you have to figure out I want to cry just thinking about if you want to figure out whose doorstep you can show up on. I'll bet you it's less than one or two. And then if you can think of someone who would endure the suffering endure the trials stand with you and bear with you. You suddenly realize You don't want to bring that upon them. You don't want to be responsible for that. So so question, how desperate do you have to be? Will you do that? Do you decide between I might lose my children if I don't get up and flee now versus I only have one place to go that I could maybe trust someone to open their doors and let me in? Because if they do, then they could also be at, at risk and at danger. This is what these people faced. This is what I have faced. This is what we as believers will face. Um, so anyway, to, to back up, um, to back up just a little bit. So what happened was, and this is a really tragic story, actually. Um, so we were kind of like what you call the poster family for this prison ministry. And what happened was a lot of people who didn't have children or couldn't adopt or couldn't adopt babies evidently the the purpose of their heart was not to really minister to these prison women and their babies it was to get a child and uh, we started out in the ministry because we wanted to do something more than stand in a picket line against abortion we wanted to do something that would entail you supporting a pregnant woman, you know, giving her a place to live. And anyway, it turned out that we ended up, uh, involved in this prison ministry where we took babies, born to incarcerated mothers. Um, it was a private guardianship, which I understand that the state of Florida is actually the only state that will allow that. But of course, that's not what the newspaper said. We were tried in the newspaper. Our fellow brothers and sisters just told us, you know, why don't you just go through social services? And I'll tell you the bottom line is is because if you go through social services, you are not an advocate for that child. You are not allowed to be an advocate. You are just a paid caregiver. And then you are also opening up your doors to your family and your children. Whereas if it's a private agreement between the mother and you, which was allowed in this state, but not in the paper, then we thought it was very simple. Yeshua... Uh, Yahweh told us to take care of the women and the children, you know, Um, that was simple. It should be simple. Right. But the authorities don't make it simple for you. In fact, we we did not accept. And I'm not saying this, you know, to pat myself, but this is just our simple faith. We did not accept um, government aid for the birth of that child born to an incarcerated woman who was chained to a bed. We, we could have easily gotten free medical, et cetera, for that child. We paid her hospital bill. We paid for the child because we believed that's what father would have us do. And because when you take part in that system, then they have the right. In other words, whoever's paying for and providing has the right to say. They have the right to dictate. Um, and and you're, you're entering into that agreement or that covenant with them, said or unsaid. And so um so anyway um so we didn't do that now other families because they wanted to do it they they couldn't afford to do that and so they went ahead and and took um you know i don't know I can't remember med- medicaid whatever it is for the child for health and, and got the hospital bill paid for etc because these women were in the care of the the prison system, um, and they could be paid for that way. But just to tell you how difficult it is, if you want to do that in simplicity, is we were not allowed to purchase health insurance at the time for this baby because the baby was not court-ordered through the system to us. So we weren't even allowed to purchase private medical insurance for this child. And know we didn't have it but we thought maybe the baby should have it anyway uh father did miracles for us and and that's uh boy i could tell you all kinds of things about the miracles that happened for that child and because of our obedience um but basically what happened was the woman who started this prison ministry she was a lobbyist at the state level Um, you know, this was back during the time of uh, Pat Robinson and and different people running, uh, you know, the Christians really coming into the arena and and running for office, right? And so um, there was a woman in the ministry who had a prison baby, but for some reason could not have her own child. Personally, I don't, I would vet out people who don't have their own children for this kind of ministry, because I I think their intentions um, can easily be in conflict. On the other hand, if you're desperate for volunteers on the ministry, I could see why you might waive that. Um, I tend towards, you know, whenever you need somebody or something to fill, it's better to not fill it than it is to fill it wrongly. But that's my experience. Um, Anyway, so we had this woman. And unfortunately, this would happen with a lot of the families who came in and would take in a prison baby. They would stop taking the baby, which was the requirement to take the baby once or twice a month to visit the mother in prison. To go through the prison doors is like being treated like a prisoner, the way they treat you, the way they talk to you, the way they pat you down, etc. So it's not a pleasant experience. You truly have to be a servant and you're doing it to take this baby so that there's a continual relationship between the baby and the mother so that when she gets out of prison, she can work her way back to having her child. If If we as believers did not participate in this ministry, then the social services would take the child and the mother would never see the child. Now, I'm along the mindset that Yahweh did not make a mistake when he chose the mother and father of every person. No matter how horrible and terrible, he's sovereign and he chose it. I didn't choose it. The attitude by many was and many of you may agree that when they started meeting the mother, they would say, oh, she's a prostitute. Oh, she's a druggie. Oh, she's a liar. Oh, she's a thief. And, the, you know, in my response, my husband would be like, yeah, you, you know, like, is that not the purpose of this ministry is to to be a witness to her? To love her where she's at to show her that we as believers don't come in with a a sub motive to care for your baby, as in we turn around and say, oh, you're not worthy for this child, so now we're gonna start adoption procedures and things to get you removed from that child, which is what a lot of families did. Well, um, they never finished the mission. The mission was to minister to the mother, care for the baby, be an advocate for the mother, be an advocate for the baby, and then when she was released, work on bringing them together so eventually when she got out of prison, she could be rehabilitated or or be witnessed to in a way um, so that she could be united with her child. Okay. Well, it so happens this other woman, unfortunately, had a, I believe she had a, uh, what do you call it? I'm, I'm not a C-section. I'm sorry. I'm having a blank here. Um, all her... Organs, a hysterectomy. Yeah. Okay, so she has a hysterectomy. She works for a doctor's office and she gets uh, addicted to Valium. Um, and so she starts writing her own prescriptions. Well, social services finds out that she's doing this. So when they go to, to get her in uh, the law, they find out, oh, she's got one of these prison babies and we really want to hurt this prison ministry and we really want to hurt this lobbyist for Christian activism in the state of Florida. So we're going to make a deal with her and not put her in jail if she will cooperate with us. So long story short, instead of prosecuting her for her addiction and giving her help, um, they set her up and made it look like when the mother got out with the baby that she had, that the mother was selling the baby to her. So, they created this sting where they were going to. She was the mother was being released, and this woman was supposed to meet the mother at this particular place, um, so she could see her baby, uh, upon release. And what they did in this sting is actually got printed in the newspaper before it happened. So, oops, um, me and at least another other woman who was in the ministry she had actually two prison babies at the time she was caring for plus her four children that she was homeschooling um they came into her house uh and stole or confiscated whatever you want to call it they took the two prison babies that she had now she hadn't done anything wrong in fact the mother in the prison who was getting out didn't do anything wrong she was not selling her baby well, when they contacted my friend, contacted me and she says they just came in and took the two prison babies and she goes you need to beware cuz they may be coming to your place next. So I'm sitting there thinking, "Oh, I have my prison baby and I got my children and I know how this works. You don't vaccinate, you're a believer that really walks it out." You know, you got a prison baby, you're doing a simple guardianship. Uh, they can make it look however they want. So I called homeschool legal defense, which it really wasn't a homeschool issue, but they still advised me. And this is what they told me. They said, you know, the best thing that you can do is you and the kids just need to go on a vacation and go shopping at the mall and spend the night somewhere. Uh, in other words, don't be there when they show up. So that's what I did. Um, it's kind of funny, but it was sad to me. I had this really nice garden and my corn was about ready to be harvested. And we also had horses. And uh, when I left and came back, um, the horses had eaten up and trampled the garden. So that was my loss. But um, we were able to go someplace. And that's when I needed my call. Who was I going to call? Where was I going to go? And unfortunately, this wasn't the only time this ever kind of stuff happened to me. There was another time. I won't go into that. Um, But who are you going to call? I only knew one family who would suffer with me, who would open the doors to me and not be stopped by fear. Long story. It gets put in the paper. It's tried that there's this whole ring of believers who are buying and selling babies and getting money and profiting, right? So we went through this whole state investigation. Well, They couldn't find anything wrong that any of us had done. But do you think they came back to the paper and said, Hey, we cleared these people. They didn't do anything wrong. Okay? No, they didn't do that. But what happened between that woman, the deal they made with her, they ended up giving the baby to her, framed the mother for selling the baby. They gave this baby to the woman to be adopted And she won uh, the Foster Adoptive Parent of the Year Award. Okay. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, this woman was a believer. She just was in a really bad place. And she gave in. And uh, the guilt that she had brought upon all of us, the guilt and the shame of what she had done, just so she could have a baby to love in order to protect herself from being caught for stealing these drugs to her addiction um, that was really instigated, you know, by the medical system within a year she had committed suicide. So again, we probably will face these days uh, most undoubtedly and don't think that you can't maybe face them today. Okay. So I'll get back on track here. Um, Okay, they, they're, they're crying out for help. And so those were the kind of prayers that I was born into. Okay, And then the young people would gather and the Holy Spirit would come down and talk to the people and rebuke them and expose them and comfort them and reveal the secrets of their hearts. Miracles would take place in those times are prayer times because Yahweh loved them and uh, loves the praises and prayers of his people. Um, so you want them to show up, start having prayers and praise meetings. Not just praise, not just worship. You know, worship is how you live. Worship is being faithful. Praise and worship and dance is great. Okay, but I think a lot of times it may be a show. It's the hard stuff. It's the hard, hard stuff of praying and studying together and having long suffering with each other. That's the hard thing. Uh, And so we had a period of revival in China because Yahweh started to send this simple group of 40 families into different villages, many which were Slavic villages because many Ukrainians and Russians ran away from Russia just before the revolution because of the turmoil of World War I and the aftermath. So many thousands of people ran from Russia while it was free before the borders were guarded again. I don't know why, but this is the impression Father has really given me. This started in 1917 after the fall uh, and the incoming of the communistic regime. So the first Shemitah into half of the second Shemitah, that infrastructure was set up and it still looked relatively safe. But our Father knew it wasn't and he wanted to save them from it, Right. So he spoke a word to them and called them out for those who would be obedient, those who would endure the suffering, okay? Um, and he wanted, he wanted to guard them. And so uh, we have the same parallel. I believe, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think so. I wish I was wrong more often in this way. But I believe we have a new regime as of the last almost three years. And this time it's not just this country. It is worldwide. Think about that. Where are you going to run to? It's going to have to be a super natural Holy Spirit driven journey. Now, there's glory in doing exactly what he wants, being exactly where he wants you to be. And if you're called to famine, if you're called to... Uh, captivity if you're called to the sword then so be it but be faithful in that because within that you can win many others uh to to Yahweh um and you know read the fox's book of martyrs come on that's what those people did they they were witnesses unto death and people could see the faith and know that even death does not destroy the faith and the eternal kingdom however Luke 21:36, you know, pray that you're counted and fit, worthy, or fit uh, to escape. Be fit spiritually above all things. You can prep all you want, but if you're not fit spiritually, you're not going to make it very well. Okay. So, anyway. Um, okay. So, they started to send a simple group of 40 into these Slavic villages uh, before the revolution. Because of the turmoil. Okay, so many thousands of people ran away from Russia while it was still free. Uh, I am not saying that you should be running away right now. I'm saying that you need to prepare to be prepared to run when the time comes. That's what I'm saying. Um, Which could be the greater exodus or could be the pre-exodus for the forerunners. Okay, don't misunderstand me. Don't force it in the flesh. Okay, wait for Yahweh to open the Red Sea for you. Uh, So many thousands of people ran away um, before it was free. And then the borders were not guarded. The the borders were not guarded at the time. Um, Unfortunately, that's not the case for us, right? So many people ran away and settled in parts of China. So Yahweh was sending this little group telling them where to go. And they were preaching the gospel. And within a few short years, Yahweh blessed the church and they gathered the first harvest in China. Remember, this is a journey. It took years, right? Right it wasn't an overnight thing. It wasn't a six month thing. It took a while. This is a process. You are in the process. And I know that those of you who have prophetic words, have dreams and visions, oftentimes you think something is immediate, but it could be 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It could be, it's a process. Okay. But yes, if he tells you like he told Uh, Joseph and Mary to get up in the middle of the night and leave, then that's what you need to do. You also need to pray that you will be able to hear and listen and obey and trust him that should you have to do that, he will give you that call. Don't think that he'll just not be there for you, not walk through whatever with you, not tell you what you need to do or be, uh, you need to get to that place where it doesn't matter if you're here in one place when Things go and it's your end, your call to the day to trans over, you know, to transfer over into the kingdom by the spirit, or if it's time to exit, you know, you gotta be you gotta be ready to die physically all day long to him and then physically accept that when your time is up, he's numbered your days, he's numbered the hairs on your head. It is called total, total surrender. Um, okay, let's see. I'm usually quite early in what I see. Yes. Amen. And, um, seeing things early is a lonely place. Most for most of us, um, and you want to tell others, but you usually can only do it as the Holy spirit leads. Cause you go out too much and tell too many, <laughs> too much. Um, and again, you, that's a fine tuning between you and Yahweh. Are you to share it? Is there a time? Is it maybe just for particular people? Uh, at particular times, and then there comes a time. Uh, a lot of what I'm sharing and have been sharing this year uh, and last year is 20, 30, or more years in the making. It's now time. It's time to begin sharing, and and the people are ready. They have more of a foundation. They have more scripture. They have more knowledge. They have more understanding to be able to receive the message. Um, which you know, for those of us who see things on the horizon. Um, That's comforting to our flesh anyway. At least we're not totally crazy. And a lot of things that we told people 20, 30 years ago is common every day, uh, teaching, preaching and or news in the newspaper today. You know, it's no more we're crazy. Um, It's it's reality. And we don't even have to address it anymore because it's there, right? The only thing we have to really address is the subtlety of the drunkenness uh, and the lack of feeling and emotion and the lack of really seeing it for what it is and being, um, subdued or, uh, you know, going through a veil of not really realizing what this really means and, and what it requires. Right. Um, to wake up to, to not be in the slumber and not be through the walking, the walking dead of, um, uh, our world basically. Um, <clears throat> So the church was a, a mighty church. It was a praying church. It was blessed by Yahweh with signs, wonders, and miracles, as in the days of the apostles and in the days of China when He had brought them out to that place. So Yahweh is no respecter of people. He seeks for those who want to see the face of Yahweh, and He wants a living face. Excuse me, a living faith, which is faithfulness. Remember Hebrew, and the culture is a verb. It requires. Action and yes, thank you, Shell. It is a spirit of numbness, uh, even maybe sometimes a deaf. And you know, a lot of people know here, but they just—it's like a bad dream where you're trying to scream and you can't scream, right? Or you can't run away and you're trying to run away. It's—it's not good. Um, There's a spiritual uh, bondage on that. Um, So he's no respecter of people. He wants us to live by faith, which is willing to obey that is faith faithfulness faith is an action it's not just a thought it's a deed um uh, action in our behavior what we do and what we don't do because sometimes it requires us not to do anything but to w-a-i-t that four-letter word again um so yahweh was doing great mighty things and from 1932 on and again we're looking at this war worldwide war, worldwide war They were going to villages and they were witnessing. So along their journey, right, they were also witnesses. Uh, So it's like this light or this fire of YAH is traveling through these places, through his people, leaving residue of the seed of the word to the kingdom. Uh, the central group was in that town where Yahweh had led them, and even though there were some little groups in different villages, the mother church, so to speak, was in that town, and Yahweh had originally that Yahweh had originally brought them to. So He was blessing His people, but of course, at the time, the people were walking in the fear of the Lord. You know, they if the fear of the Lord is um, not to fear Him. He, he's our Father. He's our our beloved, he's our in a way, he, he's our brother. He's uh, but the fear is the honor and respect of displeasing him in awe, like you wouldn't want to do anything to cause his displeasure to fall upon you. Not that he's still not going to love you, but he's not going to be really pleased because if he's not pleased by your behavior, it's because then he can't bless you. Well, sometimes he blesses us in spite of ourselves but he really, really wants to pour out the blessings. If you have children, you know what it's like. You really, really want your children to get away with some things sometimes. You really, really want to give them blessings. You really want, but you know that if you do that, it is not good for them because then they'll walk in arrogance and they'll continue to sin and they'll do things that they shouldn't be doing. So we can't just hand out the mercy. We have to be wise and discerning, knowing when to impart that mercy, when to impart um, that release. Otherwise, it is our job to hold the boundaries. So Yahweh was blessing his people. But of course, at that time, the people were walking in the fear of Yah. They were walking in a very humble obedience to the word of the Lord, Yahweh, in the obedience to his commands and his principles. There was a church separate from the world, from the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. You know, let me do a little history moment here. So the main difference between the pilgrims and the puritans the puritans thought that they could change the government system to change the people so it's kind of like a religious spirit Uh, i see this a lot in certain political campaigns and political believers Uh, they actually scare me more than the evil ones because whatever they think is the proper way to worship would be enforced upon the people there would not be a freedom of spirit uh to to be ruled and reigned and to submit to him you now we're to pray for our authorities so that we might live a peaceful life not just for the sake of the authorities but that's important because it goes full circle back to us so um it that's important um to understand um And uh, so they were separate. So the pilgrims, though, they were different in that they just wanted freedom to worship, you know, to be free of the government telling them how to worship, what to do, um, just to to do what a government is supposed to do is to protect the laws of the land, which is supposed to be based on biblical authority. Um, So that was the main difference. They wanted, so you have to ask yourself are you a pilgrim? Are you looking for freedom? For each person to be led by the Ruach uh, and let him be in charge? Or are you looking to build your own kingdom, your own little denomination, your own little government political sphere to control other people? Because you think that's going to make the world a better place. Working by the arm of the flesh does not work. It will work for a tyrant for a time and a season, but it will not achieve what El wants for his people. He wants us to worship with a free heart. He wants us to be able to be led by his Ruach. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, what we do, what we're called to, is not looking the same as our other brothers and sisters. We have to know our relationship with him. We have to know what we're called to. We have to be faithful to that. And we should be able to tell our brothers and sisters, I'm being called to this. I I need to separate in love because this is what I'm called to. And this isn't what you're called to right now. But in the end, we're all going to be in the same kingdom. In the end, we all have the same goal. Okay. So, um, so they, they were living separate from the world. That was, you know, they had a, they had a pilgrim attitude. We're pilgrims. We're passing through here. All of us. Okay. We're passing through the kingdom of the earth that is now ruled and reigned by its authority that was given to it by Adam. Um, and until the day, as in Revelations, when all things come back into order under the rule as in, on earth as it is in heaven um, with the Messiah. Because it was just simple farmers with no such temptations surrounding them as you have here in America. All this, what you call the modern age, the modern world. We had nothing like that in China. People were just walking in simple obedience and trust. And they were just humble people of you being farmers. But there were many other moves of the Lord. Uh, But I'll just share one incident and then we'll move on to the word of Yah. so we can conclude the message. Um, There was once a brother who was living across the Ural Mountains, about 1,500 kilometers, someone will have to translate that for me, from Kiev in central Ukraine. He was ministering to his village there. I find it very interesting that this is all brought back uh, to my attention um, that we've got this thing going on in the Ukraine. And yet we know this history here of Russia and the Ukraine uh, and China. He was ministering to the village there and it was about 1932. And he was a man of prayer and Yahweh was teaching him. The time was coming for the great crush upon Russia. The confiscation, the killing, the shooting, and the deaths in Siberia. Remember, Yahweh told them ahead of time. But what they had to do in order to be delivered, in order not to go through this, they had to trust and obey and give up everything they had. That meant their farm, their comfort, their food, their furniture, their families. Okay. Don't think that the remnant will not be required to do the same. What do you think the Israelites had to give up when, yes, they wanted to be free, but they had attachments. Lot's wife, they had attachments. It is not easy to let go of your loved one. It's not easy to let go of your lifestyle. It is not easy to let go of who you think you are or what your assignment is or your mission when Yahweh decides to change it. And if you're in ministry, and we are all in ministry, if we're believers, Don't get stuck camping on your last mission assignment. It can change. It can change in a heartbeat. It can change uh, by him preparing your heart from the time that comes. Make sure you prepared that whole season because if you didn't, you won't be ready when he opens the doors and says, boom, boom, right? Um, So uh, there were different rumors that there would eventually be full control in Russia. So this brother was praying to the Yahweh, and he said, "Yahweh, you know what the people are talking about here. There are rumors that we will be persecuted and killed. Do we hear this today? Do we not see this worldwide today under the one government? So help us, Yah, protect us and save us. And you know, we went from multiple governments worldwide were into one government." one faith of those who have the witness of the testimony of Yeshua, the Messiah and obedience to the commandments. So we went from many, many denominations, uh, many countries, many political things to behind the scenes, the infrastructure is all coming together uh, in the spiritual world and in the political world. And they're going to do the state marriage with the religion again. And it's going to be one again, but it's going to be all replaced by the one new man, the united Israel, the one new um, renewal, return of Yeshua, the Messiah, which will be the one ruler, right? Um, So just by seeing that, just like in the, in the pattern of creation where things were separated and brought back together, this is where we're at in our time in history. Um, And if you question that, you just have to go back and shake your head and go, is it worldwide? Yes. What we saw unfold in January and February three years ago, it was worldwide. So if you had any questions, I think that should have been the eye opener. Um, So this brother was praying to Yah. You know what the people need. Protect us, help us, protect us, save us. And one of the nights when he was praying, Yahweh said to him, his name was Ivan, which means uh, it would be Eon or John in English before they changed the printing press to J, right? Um, my son, Yvonne, or John, or Yan, Yokanan, however you want to go there with that, I'll lead you into the country of China. Get ready for journey, Remember, this is really what this is about. Get ready for your next journey. And don't think that the next ch- destination is your final destination. It's probably like these people, Step by step, city by city, maybe country by country, maybe tent by tent, if you're fortunate enough to have a tent. Okay, I'm just saying, I'll lead you into the country of China. Get ready for the journey. And uh, he set him, uh, and Yahweh set him a night when to go. On such and such a night, you are going to leave this village. And Yahweh told him what to do. He was quite well off because he had eight cows, that's rich, and two purebred horses. And to have eight cows in Russia in those days was a great, it was quite a, uh, quite a good farming experience with chickens and so forth, and quite a good farming operation. Um, yes, uh, it is a daily sacrifice bridal armor. You are correct. So Yahweh said, you leave your house and you leave your cattle and you leave your purebred horses and you leave everything. I mean, he's supposed to be getting ready for a journey. Don't you think he might have wanted to take some of that along? Um, maybe your uh, your goods that you've been storing up might not be what you're supposed to take. And put your milk cow in your horse cart. Harness her and put her in the horse cart. <laughs> and you imagine? You got to harness your cow, your milk cow, and put her in the horse cart. Take a couple of bags of millet grain and some other foods, which by the way, millet is considered, it's got these little tiny yellow, mm, they make millet cereal. I used to make my own ho- homemade, you know, ground up my own bread and sold it and had it for our family. And one of the things I would throw in there, I wouldn't even grind the millet, just put it in there because it's got a nice little crunch, but it's not a lot of protein in it. Okay. So it's, it's called a like a poor man's grain. But it's really, if you find for a lot of things, for poor people are actually very healthy and very good for them. So it's good, it's good for us when we do without, or at least what we think is the comforts of the world. Um, uh, If you're asked to go, yes, can you? Okay, I thought you were asking a question. Just making sure I'm trying to pay attention here, and also, okay, good. Nobody says I'm offline. Okay. Um, So they take a couple of uh, bags of millet and some other food, and they leave this village at dusk in the darkness. On a particular night, Father instructed them, and leave on such and such a road. And the Lord told them to take a side road out of the village. And Yahweh gave them the name of the village he was to go to next. So the brother was puzzled, of course, and he said, "Yeah, I have good transportation. You know, i got these purebred horses. But because he was a man of prayer and a man of obedience, he decided to obey Yahweh. Okay. And when the night came, he harnessed his cow. And Yahweh even told him the name of the cow, which cow to take. Can you imagine? Um, So he harnessed her in the horse cart and he turned on the lights in the house. And he fed his cattle and fed his horses. And then he put his children and wife on the horse cart, and they left quietly. Uh, Yes, you know, Amalia, you know, I I read a book um, somewhere in stories around here. Um, It was a book on the Jewish people who had come across the prairies from the east to the west, uh, the pioneers. And there are many stories where they had their chickens and their horse. And they would all stay in a room like smaller than eight by eight or four by four with their entire family and those animals. And that's how they survived in the food that they had wherever they went. It was no, uh, you know, I can't fathom it, but that was it was no big deal to uh, sleep with those animals and be in the same place with them. You know, I I don't know if you all are familiar, but there's um, up here in the Northwest, we have what we call a. one dog down two dog down two do- uh, three dog down so if you have a a duvet a, a comforter excuse me made out of uh, goose feathers right or duck feathers excuse me there are those others that, there are those too but um, the way they measure them is is it one dog down is, you want it, that's a light one that means that it only takes one dog <laughs> to keep you warm. Right? It's kind of an Indian term. Two dog down means you, you have a little cooler weather. And three dog down means you need three dogs or three dogs worth of down to stay warm. So kind of interesting. Um, um, so okay, so uh let's get back. So he puts them all in, he's getting ready to go. And here's the thing because he obeyed and he left on the night, he did took only what he told them to um he was passing through the village and people saw them traveling in the dusk of the evening and they said oh no we have another gypsy coming to our village gypsies would travel throughout Russia and they were stealing and they were doing witchcraft and they were doing all kinds of things and begging and that's how they lived their lives and they never worked in Russia there were many many gypsies traveling in Russia for many centuries So because he went the way Yahweh told them, he didn't realize he was being disguised as a gypsy, which means they didn't bother them. So the people throughout uh, thought this brother was a gypsy because it was a common sight to see a gypsy traveling on a cow. Now, why did Yahweh do this? Because at that time, there was very strict control. People could not move in and out of their villages Because the government was already gaining control over all the people. Again, Father may tell you to go left or right, and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And so are you going to stick to your knowledge and your logistical thought? Or are you going to learn to listen to the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, and follow that? That's the big question. And you hope that you know his voice well enough to know... It's not just yourself speaking, okay, or some other voice speaking, right? My sheep know my voice and will follow me. Um, Let's see. So they thought he was a gypsy because he had this cow. And now why did Yahweh do this? Because there was time was very strict control. They They were controlling the people. And what they did in Russia was to slowly prepare the population. Did you get that? What did they do? They slowly prepared the population think back for the last almost three years. not to say we weren't controlled in, in everything else and mind controlled and educated in the public school system, but especially the last few years. Uh, each neighbor was told to spy on their next door neighbor. Ooh, let me stop there. So here's the deal with that one. Let's get a couple examples. Oh boy. I was a survival realtor in Northwest Montana. And when you're in real estate, there are certain things they do. And I call it my annual brainwashing courses to keep my license. And, of course, if you go hunting, uh, dealing with certain entities of the earth that we're all very familiar with, we are told to report on each other. They do this now all the time in public school. They do it in hunter education. They do it in real estate education. But they don't come out and say it like that, okay? For instance, Um you know, don't let the cattle cross the stream on the land because it's going to pollute it and everything downstream. You know, they don't understand that the people, the same people that like to eat steak (laughs) haven't figured out how you, how do you let a cattle rancher ranch without crossing water and needs water, but uh, you know, that's, you know, and Hey, it's okay for the wolves that they implant into the area that are a mixed breed and a hybrid and Infected with the disease comes into the northwest. That's purposely planted to kill off the elk population. And and even when these creatures die, they leave this. Uh, I think it's a bacteria that can infect people. You know, it just it's okay as long as they're doing it. But if you see someone who you know use that land or cross that land with an ATV or a horse, or they pooped or potted in the stream, what whatever. They contaminate the stream. Not understanding that Yahweh also has a way and a method of filtering this stuff as it goes downhill and, you know, from the mountains. But, but understand that the way it's addressed is to the people in the training and the, in the public education is, well, you need to turn them in because you don't understand. They are damaging your land, your water. And this is what they're told. Excuse me? First of all, it's not our land. It's not our water. It's Yahweh's. But the entities of the earth have claimed it as theirs. So even when you buy land, especially, say, in Montana, you don't have, you you apply to water rights. That doesn't necessarily mean you got them or that you're going to have them. And you sign a waiver to that. The kings of the earth believe they own the air, the water, everything underneath it, everything above it. And, and in, in reality, with the contract with Hasatan, uh, and you know the deed that he was given when when Adam sinned, that's pretty much true. But they convince you that it's they're damaging your forest. Watch Robin Hood with Russell Crowe. That will give you an idea. Uh, I don't like the other Robin Hoods. There's one has a, a funny. They, they think it's a funny rape. I don't like that one. But the Russell Crowe one, I thought, really expressed to you why and how the people were living under the divine rights of king's laws, which really is in first or second Samuel chapter eight, when Yahweh says, this is what's going to happen. You want a king to rule you? You want a face? You want a government? You don't want just me? And This is what we do our brothers and sisters. We think they have, have certain rules and certain leaders instead of just him. Okay, so the divine right of kings is where the kings of the earth, and a lot of them are <clears throat> in the same line who have been in office throughout our country who are really tied to all of those entities <clears throat> in Europe, etc. This is this is how it's gone. Okay, so um, they, the divine right of kings, read it. It's either 1st or 2nd Samuel chapter 8. Father instructs you and tells you what's going to happen when you choose a man or king to rule over you instead of me. See, his rules, people thought, was too burdensome. His Torah was too burdensome. What we are going through now and what we will be going through will make us in a heartbeat love and embrace and pull upon the Torah we will willingly gladly give up anything and everything because it's going to be so horrible that we want to embrace his torah again we want it all because he's a good one and we know that his laws and his rules are for our goodness and for our blessings yes thank you shell um yes and so you know that first and second seven the divine right of kings that's where the king of england you know uh was it king henry the, the one that killed all his wife, George Henry, whatever, Henry VI or whatever. Um, they killed they killed him off because he had the the new King James Bible commissioned so that the that the wording and the power in there that we were to obey the commandments of Yah first were basically tainted and worded differently so that he could have an excuse to basically in a way become the head of the church to become the church and have the right to kill or behead his wives. You know, for your, oh, I'm sorry. But for you King James Thumpers, and it is my number one Bible that I use, by the way, because it's tied to the Strong's, tied to the Hebrew, blah, blah, blah. And I think the scholarship is good. But it's not all correct. Um, Because it's only the original language and concept that is. But if you will get yourself a facsimile of the Geneva Bible, the Geneva Bible was the Bible of the pilgrims. It was the Bible at Pocahontas, okay. It is hard to read until you learn all the fancy little letters, and in the eyes were not in the J's look like little eyes. But here's the deal: if you would read the history behind the Geneva Bible to the King James Bible, the issue and the commission of the King James Bible would be the same or equivalent to our former president, who did not do whatever with that woman that would be the equivalent of it it was a political document to the believers at that time and those people suffered death persecution starvation because they refused to accept that bible and then yet today we beat each other up because you don't use the right bible of course in the messianic hebrew roots movement it's a little bit different because now you know we're going around pumping off, you know, whether or not you can do Hebrew or not. Right. We're not so much hung up on that, but a lot of believers are okay. Um, And then we know enough Hebrew to beat each other up. Um, You know, we do a lot of that messiness. So anyway, um, I digress. Let me come back. But it was the Geneva Bible. And that was the Bible of the pilgrims. That is the Bible of the people who left like Abraham to a country unknown, and the in there, you know, a lot of people say yes. America was created on, you know, the Masons and, and all this stuff, and, and yes, that's true. But there was another truth going on, in every scene, in every his story, his story, there is another scene going on of what is he doing, what is Yahweh doing, what is he accomplishing with his people? With his people, he told them, in their own words and their own documents, go forth. To a land like Abraham. Where you don't know where you're going. And basically the pilgrims were Israelites. They understood the feast. Thanksgiving. You can go crazy on that one if you want to. But I'm telling you. If you go really really deep into the books. And the research. They understand their Hebrew roots. They understand the feast. They understand the Hebrew. And that was a feast. Of tabernacles to them. It was a feast of the harvest. In a new land. Um. So they're going forth to a place in father's time, And it was a way to expand his kingdom to go worldwide. Okay. It so came out of the East to the Middle East because it already, everything else was already East. Um, but their father was doing something and he's still doing something. He brought his people out and dispersed them throughout the world. And one of the last frontiers of that was a majority of Ephraim going into the Western world. And now that we are worldwide, he's now been in the process for the last 20, 30 years of bringing us back to who we are, his covenant, preparing us to be prepared for when he wants to take us back out. Okay. Um, Each neighbor spies on uh, uh, the on his neighbor and reports to the KGB without knowing that he was being spied on by his neighbor. They did this in secrecy and they offered them a reward. And this is what they do. I will tell you one other little experience. So uh, one of my sons, my adopted prison baby son, actually I did end up adopting him. Uh, His mother came out and uh, we were going to take care of her for 20, 30 years, whatever it took for her and her son. Uh, But she made a decision to, Give him up for adoption. I actually argued with her because I not that I didn't want him, but because father did not give that child to me. He gave it to her. And so, and those two families that I know of that still have relationships with these prison mothers and their babies were the families who ministered to the mother in spite of who or what she was, and we still communicate to this day. We 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 had can have an open conversation. Because we didn't we didn't set out to harm them to take their child, they either gave their child or they were reunited with their child. Sorry, just had a fly or something. Um, so, so anyway, um, so my oldest son is actually an adopted son who was a, our first prison baby. The other one went back to her mother. Um, so anyway, he went through a hard time, um, you know, generational whatever it is. Uh, and he was, he was basically on house arrest. And so, um, he was getting ready to come out of that and he had to go, he was going to a hunter safety course. I didn't need the hunter safety course cause I'm too old and, um, you know, it's waived. I'm grandfathered in. I don't have to go do these courses, but I did the courses to take him so that I could sit, so he could go. So I sat in on the classes and this particular course was predominantly like I think I'm, maybe one other adult was there, was all these youth, all these young people, 13, 14, 15, whatever the age is that they can, 16, so that they can hunt. And um, at that time, when they brought in these mutant wolves that were killing off a lot of the deer and elk population, et cetera, and spreading these diseases, was happening at that time. And I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe it was the federal government could have been Montana but I think it was the federal government it was one of their wonderful programs uh, that they brought these animals in and they were killing livestock they you know they were doing bad things um and so in this hunter class this hunter um who is instructing the class told all these kids that if they see a wolf even if they felt endangered they could not shoot it it would be against the law Now, I watched a few of the young girls' faces, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, you know, again, they're all public school children, so what else? They they just listen, but you could tell in their spirit something wasn't right, and it drove me nuts, of course, sitting there, and so I raised my hand, and I asked the instructor this. I said, so are you saying that even if we feel endangered or someone in our Brothers, sisters on the porch, whatever, when these wolves come up, if we feel endangered or we're out there hunting, it is illegal to shoot the wolf, but it's not immoral to shoot the wolf. Of course, he looked at me, (laughs) didn't really know what to say, but he said yes, which you could have seen the relief on these young girls faces um, like, oh, bingo, you know, they they couldn't think and reason through that, but now they did. So uh, that's just another example of the mind games on uh, preparing the people so that they don't know to ask these kinds of questions. Um, do I need to wrap things up or can we go on just a little bit more, Shell? Let me know. Um, I know I'm an hour, hour and 15 minute right now. So um, didn't realize I was going to get charged up today. So um Anyway, so people were doing that and the movement was watched very closely. Um, So if he had left on horses, it would not have been or it would have been known immediately that he was leaving the village. Nobody was allowed to move without permission from the authorities. We have uh, heard rumors of this in the past three years uh, from town or from the village that you were in. And they experienced that same thing in China when the communists came, you know, I think it was Brad Scott and or Rico, some of those leaders who went over to China. uh, Thank you, Shell, that uh, brought over the Torah. And I remember the Chinese had to get passes and permission. and, And some of them took trains that took almost a day to get to go listen to the word and these Torah teachers. Um, and this was, several, this was several years ago. So it's still it's still common today um, over there. And they experienced the same thing in China with uh, the Communist king. Um, so you had to have so you had to have four stamps on a piece of paper and your reasons for going and how long you were going before you could leave town. and only 10 kilometers at a time. Uh, if I'm, somebody can do the math, can you tell me what 10 kilometers was? Uh, Type it in there. Uh, That was the same in China, too. So I know what they're talking about, he says. So then this brother left quietly. He didn't have a deal and get his four stamps, right? Because he was taken for a gypsy. And Yahweh sent him on a side road. Uh, And at night and midnight of the night he left, now get this, he obeyed. This is what happened. The KGB came to this brother's. Uh, at midnight of the night that he left, the KGB came to take his uh, this brother, excuse me, this this man to Siberia. He didn't know that they were going to do that because he was proclaimed an enemy of the people because he was a rich man because he he had the blessings that Yahweh had given him. Okay, so. His property was confiscated. It would have been confiscated that night, and so would have he been taken to Siberia and gotten rid of. Of those taken to Siberia, many were killed. Some were needed for labor. Much, Many rich people were simply shot, taken out of the villages, and shot with machine guns. They killed millions of people in Russia from 1933 on. If you get a chance, thank you, 6.2 miles. So... Um, so uh, <clears throat> two point miles, what was that? Um, gosh, I'm trying to look here. Um, uh, 10 kilometers, okay, 10 kilometers. All right, gotcha. 10 kilometers is about 6.2 miles. Um, if you get a chance, if you can find, there's a book called Vanya, V-A-N-Y-A. I'm not sure about the year... But I believe it's it's in the 1900s. So I, it, it may even be right after, around this time. But if uh, I read, you know, some people might think it's bad. It's kind of like reading the Fox's Book of Martyrs to your children. But in the Book of Vanya, it's a modern-day story of uh, Vanya. And it's written in honor of him. But it's the story of what he suffered as a believer in the Russian army. And the miracles that happened and the testimonies and the people that were saved through his tortures. Um, I think there's a lot to learn from that book and a lot to learn from that story. And he was from a family of believers that prayed in Russia. Uh, but I think there are some, um, I don't know if they call them, if I remember right, Reformed Baptists or something like that. But they would have prayer meetings uh, and house-to-house meetings, etc. So if you get a chance, if you want to read that, there's another book um, called... I think it's called, but not forsaken. And um, it actually is in Christian light. If you're a homeschooler. I think it's Christian light publications or it's a Mennonite. Uh, it was Mennonite, which I think is what Christian light publications is. <clears throat> but there's a book, if you dig for it, it's called, um, but not forsaken. And it's the story of a Mennonite family. Um, so this can give you a good history maybe something for you to do with your children your family your grandchildren and discuss but this story also takes place um, they say I believe if I I might have got all this has been a while but I believe it was King Catherine Queen (laughs) not King Catherine although we never know Queen Catherine during the Bolshevik Revolution so that that Family, uh, those people fell down and then in came, if I understand and remember correctly, then came in the Russian, excuse me, the communistic party. OK, so but this queen who was the queen before. And um, maybe I got her name wrong, but I think that's right. Um, might have been Katarina. I don't know. But whoever the queen was, they were very lenient towards the Jews. So, you know, you have the what they call them, the was the the pogroms uh, in Russia where they came in and and the same kind of stuff they did to the Jews. um, And they were Mennonites there. So they were, but when they were in reigning, they were, you know, they were kind and they allowed those believers to be there, whether they were Jewish or, or Baptist, Mennonite, whatever. And so the story of But Not Forsaken is the story of how the Mennonite family in this particular family were driven out and they were separated from their husband, uh, their children, and how they had to journey on foot and through. Uh, and it's not as uh, graphic. Uh, it's much more milder. Not not that Vanya is really graphic. It's just some hard things to think about, you know, standing out there in the snow all night in Siberia. But um, it's not quite as graphic um, in illustration. Uh, but it talks about what they had to go through, where they would find places to rest and and how they were separated from their families and and the journey they had to take. then eventually, I believe uh, most of those people, they ended up in Europe and then they were dispersed out to Canada and to, I wanna say Brazil or Paraguay, Paraguay, um, which is a similar story of what happened to these believers here with Boris and his story. It might even be the exact same time period. Um, So if you get a chance, that was a children's reading book story um, with the Mennonite Christian. I use, I like the uh, Christian Light and um, Rod and Staff uh, curriculums because they're they're Amish or Mennonite. And the reason I like them is number one, they're they don't overstimulate you with color and stuff like Abecca. Um, so there's something to be said about that. Also, Abeka's history is horribly. You know, they just take some history that's. Poorly written or wrong, and then they place some verses on it. Um, I can really get into that, but um, but what I really liked about the Mennonite Christian, uh, in uh, Amish is number one, I might be changed in recent years, but they really only have grades, uh, first through seventh, eighth, because in their communities. They're taught the basics from home, then they go out, they learn their basic reading writing skills. And by the time they're teenagers, which is the way our history used to be in this country, by the time you hit teenager, you, you were done. It only took three years, maybe five at the very most, to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. And you were smarter today with those few years than you were with 13 years or more of school today. And so when you got to your teenage years, If you you went to go learn your apprenticeship, what you're going to learn, what you're going to do, your skills. And so their books are like that, too. They are actually, if they have eighth, ninth, and I think they eventually added because of pressure, uh, other grades, but it really was going into the apprenticeship of skills. Um, And in this country what would happen is if you got to that age and because we didn't used to have high school, high school was invented. Okay. Because what high school was in those, you know, maybe I won't say a hundred years ago. It's been a while since I've done this. Um, it was, you go learn your Greek, you go learn your Hebrew. If you're called to be in the clergy or to be a doctor or to be a lawyer. Okay. Otherwise you were learning your skill, your apprenticeship. And the only reason you went to high school at that time for those skills is because those were more skills that would take longer time for you to learn what you needed to learn to get to be that doctor, that lawyer, that clergy, that clergyman, etc. Right? So, anyway, um, that was our education—three to five years max—and. Um, you were much, much smarter than you are today. Um, uh, anyway, so that's why I like those books, because they're simple. They they have the old-fashioned phonics that the, the older of us out here, <laughs> um, what do you call them? Our spoon our babies, etc. We learned basic phonics. We learned to read, write, <clears throat> and do arithmetic. And we didn't have all that indoctrination. We had some, don't get me wrong. We went through the 60s and 70s, but... Um, I, I remember that indoctrination, you know, um, the sexual revolution. You know, males have female attributes and and opposite. And you know, uh, I was I was taught on a military base uh, in a military public school um, that America was an imperialistic nation, which you know it probably is. But um, I almost got my face left up at the dinner table for repeating what I was taught in school. So. there there was indoctrination. And of course, they opened up and said, hey, you can go get birth control pills. You could get an abortion without your parents' permission, but you couldn't get an aspirin, right? So, And now it's just so much, much, much worse than it is today. Now you can go get a uh, sex change. In the state of Oregon, I think you have 13 or 14, you get a sex change. If you're 15 or so, um, I, I think over 13 or 14 years old, me as the parent cannot get my own child's records and test results um however i did because i filled out the paperwork and signed my name for his name and so i had a little loophole didn't realize i was doing that but i I found out so i could tell you stories about that for sure so um let's see so they were taken off to siberia they were killed somewhere needed for labor etc many rich people were simply shot see if you're rich which, you know means you you were self-sustainable if you were a farmer you were rich self-sustainable get that um, don't don't you know pray about it. don't be wise about what you have you don't need to flaunt it just because you got it right um, be discreet I I know I know people who have had their children taken away from them and put in prison and this was 15 20 years ago simply because they were teaching freedom based on the laws that really do exist. But they did a video and they were loading their guns or bullets and they had a child in the background. So they were picked up for child abuse and neglect. Don't think they won't target you. I have been targeted. I have been drugged through the court system because I wanted my children to know how to farm and fish and live off the land. And this was 20 plus years ago. Don't think it's better today. And back then my other believing brothers and sisters wouldn't believe that it was possible to do that. Their eyes could not open to the reality of what was happening. And then they give you bad advice, bad counsel Because they just don't understand, but it's because they're not living separate enough to understand, and of course they're not on the radar. Um. So, um, it is important to be thinking about letting go of whatever it is that Yah says let go. Amen. Amen. Uh, So they kill millions of people, but this brother they laughed. And when they came to pick him up, there was no man at his house because he had left when the father had told him and the family disappeared and they didn't know what to do or what happened. The horses were there. Everything was there and the lights were on, but no man and no family. They were amazed. They couldn't understand it. So they waited for morning and they saw the tracks leaving through the gate and they saw the direction he went. So they harnessed his horses and made a big chase along that main road. And of course, They were chasing for a long time with no results. Praise Yah. Because Yahweh sent him on a side road. Again, he obeyed. And that man traveled to the village that Yahweh told him to go to. And uh, he told him that he would take him into China. But of course, can you imagine being told to go into some country you don't know the language? Much less the way. And you got to depend on him. You don't even have a Google map. You don't have a map. You don't have a paper map. You just have to go wherever... He tells you, right? Um, That's scary. What happens if you don't hear his voice? That's what the enemy will say to you. It's kind of like him talking to Eve, you know. Um, But, of course, he hardly had any education, which was to his benefit because he hadn't been brainwashed um, in the way that they thought was education. And he had no beautiful roadmaps He had no road signs, nothing. They had to totally depend on Yah. And all he knew was the name of the next village. And he knew that. And he was praying each time. And he was praying at night. And it was summertime. And they were traveling on the cow. And they would pasture the cow and milk the cow and make porridge with the millet, uh, which is good and sustainable to live on. Uh, To feed the children. And they praise Yah because they realize. That if they had traveled on horses. They couldn't milk the horses. But they could milk a cow. So Yahweh uses the simple. The uneducated and the unwise of this world. To confound the wise and the prudent. And Yahweh put the KGB to shame. By simply leading this man. Out to security and to safety. To China on a cow. When he came to the next village. Which wasn't very far. He prayed with his family and said. Yahweh, is this China? And Yahweh said, my son, Ivan, Ivan, this is not China yet. I will take you to China. And then Yahweh told him the name of the next village, and he moved on. And the Lord gave him the next address and so on. And he had to ask people where the village was. He had no map. Russia had no maps in those days. So he would ask, where is this village? And they would point to the right road. And then he happened to be moving south without knowing where he went. Like Abraham. Did Abraham know the address? Did he know where he went? The Bible says Abraham left his country and didn't know where he was going. This was the same for the pilgrims um, and those who came to this country while Yahweh was having this other history going across the nation. while yes, the other side, the darkness kingdom had its plan going don't get sidetracked on just that dark plan ask and seek what is father doing in the midst of any dark plan so this brother was traveling on and before he knew it by the end of the summer it took him all summer he had traveled from the middle of russia to the port the border of china and here is the disappointment when he came to the border Yahweh told him to move on, and so he went on. And by the direction of Yahweh, it was very close to the border. And the Russian border at that time was already heavily guarded with German shepherd dogs and constant checking um, on horseback. So he, it was already an iron curtain at that time. It was severely controlled because they did not want people to leave. It was strictly checked. So... When they saw this strange sight, a man traveling in the direction of China, it was very suspicious. And so they caught him. They confiscated his cow. They took away his cart. They made him a prisoner. And they caught some other people that looked suspicious to them. And they made them cut dry grass along the border for the hay for their horses. And I am going to leave you in suspense (laughs) until next time because the story gets pretty good. And again... When bad things happen, we have to look up. Because Father might just be orchestrating something phenomenal for us. And I will say again, for those out there who have ears to hear and eyes to see, that when the days come, that it looks like we maybe are being taken into captivity. It may be for our good. And... It may be what sets us up to be released for that exodus. So, thank you all for being here. Um, let's see. Shell has uh, looking for famine recipes. Yes, I think in the Not Forsaken book, there's a thing there about the soldiers and like they got really sick of potatoes and carrots. I think it was, but they they had you know they had they did have food. Um, yes, the Tale of Two Cities. So anyway, um, oh, we can cheat due to the website. I'm not quite sure. Uh, Phillips didn't have Google, but the Ruach caught him. Amen. Uh, on the way to Ashdod. Yes, please. Thank you. All right. So we're done for today and we'll leave off to see what happens to this man who listened to father. He delivered him through all of this, but now he's trapped in a prison. Uh, is father's word still good? Is father still going to take him where he said he was going to take him and his family? That is the question. And many of us will go through many things if we haven't already, and more so in the future, where it looks like it's not good and we're trapped. And we know where we're being called to, but we don't see how we're going to get there. And we don't understand the little hiccups along the way or even the big ones that seem awful. Okay, so... May your garments always be white and may you lack no shimen. Shalom.